All right, it is one thirty central time now, and uh, in, in an unusual thing for me, we're we're starting on time. Um, I've actually been pretty good about that on on the show, starting at scheduled times instead of you know late, like I am many times. But anyway, I am joined today by my good friend Danny Larue of everywhere, um, of seemingly of, yes, of, of Dunked On, of, of Twitter NBA space, Twitter, Twitter NBA spaces. No, Twitter Twitter spaces is good. Yeah, um, and uh, the NBA show and the NBA cast and the Athletic and so on and so forth. Real Gym Radio. I'm sure I've missed several, um, but uh, Danny's coming on, and, and as we normally do, we're just going to kind of bounce around and talk about all things current in the NBA. But obviously, with the trade deadline coming up in about ten days, we're going to talk trade deadline. So, uh, <laughs> Danny, how's it going? Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, you were just saying in the pre-show that you're kind of in prep mode for one of the uh, one of the favorite kind of pod uh, potting experiences of the NBA calendar, which is the, uh, the 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 dunked on mock trade deadline with you and Nate Duncan and and Dan Feldman and uh, Kevin Kevin Pelton. And you were saying that you uh, one of the teams that you represent in that in that mock deadline exercise is the Charlotte Hornets, and that's actually the place I wanted to start um, just to talk because. They have a very, you know, they're they're an under the radar team with some under the radar players that actually have some interesting players that not just interesting for them, but illustrate some unusual, some some key concepts of NBA team building. I think I wholeheartedly agree. And the the Hornets are they're a really fun team to think about for something like this for people who come at the NBA from a lot of different directions. Now, if you are a cap CBA nerd, there's a whole angle there in terms of the way their finances are structured and the way, you know, like LaMelo Ball's extension or new contract kicks in the same year that Gordon Hayward's expires. And so how does that work? And you have all those elements. But then at a more basic level, you have the interesting team, really talented offensively, that can make strides ideally on the other end. And the core question that I think is always so central to two teams that are, you know, you know, on the younger side and on the talented side is what is your goal and how do you want to get there? Are you trying to peak at a, are you, are you trying to be good for a while? Are you trying to be really good for a period of time? Or do you think you can buck the trend? You can defy everything and do both for, for a while. And usually you can't, everybody who thinks they can cannot. Um, is that a is that a subtweet of the Warriors being both all in and player developing this year? Yes and no. I mean, I think that it's extremely it's extremely difficult to to do both those things. And I think incidentally, the Warriors from you know like the earlier stretch is a pretty good example. Now they of course won three championships, but they did you know they did have to lose some of the coffers and all that to get Katie the right decision, of course. But. I, I, I incidentally, I also, I also have the Warriors in the mock deadline, and I'm struggling with how to handle that. But let's let's focus on the Hornets, and I think the 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 focal point here is and should be the center position because they have a lot of talent other places, and they. I mean, so I want to I, I want to throw this to you. It's funny you're the host, but I want to throw yeah. this to you no, because please. I'm interested. In, I'm interested in your response. The there are a lot of different things defensively that a center can do. What if you, if you were if Mitch Kupchak was taking your call right now? What would you what would you prioritize in terms of a Hornets defensive center? Man, that's a, that's a. I mean, it seems like you're you're the, the two archetypes. I guess uh, in the name two players of roughly similar level is it's is sort of the. The Bam Adebayo, uh, all court kind of switchable, can you know guard guard multiple positions and defend on the interior, okay? Or the you know the arch rim protector Rudy Gobert kind of or slightly lowered down the pecking order Clint Capella kind of dive and dunk on offense kind of guy. Um, and I'm not sure. It seems like they are more in the former space, although what is Mason Plumley defensively, but certainly with, with PJ Washington, who we're going to talk about about a lot, I think is much more in kind of the switchable, but some rim protection mold than the sort of paint denial, um, archetype of, of center. 
Right. And so for me, you and I have talked about this a fair amount over the years, um, but I actually oftentimes just think about centers, you know, depending on where your roster construction is, on what your other players can and cannot do. You know, so the idea I was, I brought this up recently in terms of the potential James Harden, Joel Embiid fit, that the problem is with James Harden, you probably want to run a switching system because he's not great and a lot of the other systems, you, you can do some stuff to kind of handle it man-to-man. And then Joel Embiid, you don't want to switch for a couple reasons. One, I don't think he's the greatest in those perimeter responses, but also he's such a good rim protector that when he's out away from the basket, you're asking a lot of your other guys. And so my inclination going through the Hornets is that they can switch, but, you know, like they have a lot of kind of like-ish sized guys. Like, I think Rozier could do some of that. I think, event, like, Lamelo is maybe more in the hard mode where he's not great on anybody. But if, if you give him something basic to do, he can do it most of the time. But my general concept would be, you know, if you can, if, if you're not, if, if you don't think you can win a championship, the Rudy Gobert archetype can do better most of the time. You know, like, they have specific limitations. And if you have weak you have weak overall perimeter defense, then you have a ceiling anyway. But I'm interested because I think you can make a valid argument with the Hornets for both approaches, but you have to distill that into one guy because there are almost no centers that can do both. Right. No, and I, the reason I'm kind of, I will go like the the second tier, I guess, of the Gobert model is, is it just doesn't have that level of impact. And I think that, you know, we see the issue with that that Gobert has, where if the the perimeter defense around him is porous, uh, then they, he kind of gets the, that then that kind of, that model of center kind of gets run around a little bit too. And I I think that it's fair to say that at least as currently and likely to continue to be constructed for the foreseeable future, like the Hornets aren't going to be able to keep anybody in front of them that well. So having a uh, having a center that can switch and maybe maybe help with kind of some of the point of attack stuff a little bit more will will have quicker impact in terms of of taking them from you know unsightly to credible defensively like they're you know they're the, the at least as constructed like the hornets model of being like a contention level team is you know top 5 offense average defense like that's yeah. that's that's what they're hoping for, and I feel like, especially the way they want to play offense, I feel like the more versatile, like all court defensive guy, is probably easier to come by than you know an elite dive and dunk rim protecting center. The funniest part of this conversation is that I think I mean the best off the, what, a guy who's a really natural offensive fit with the Hornets. But fit, but you so okay. I'll phrase this a different way. Normally, you would think that the kind of floor spacing, lower usage, but still could do a little bit center. Intuitively, you would think that that would be the smaller switchier guy. Like that's the way it can often work. You know, those the the guy who grew up as a th- as a three got those skills and then eventually became like six six ten six eleven and can switch. So PJ Washington, sort of yeah, but better. Um, <laughs> but better. And but incidentally, I think the guy who who intrigues me the most for them offensively, you know, we could say Christian Wood is a different conversation. That's about whether you can solve his issues defensively. Is Miles Turner because part of what makes the Hornets so dangerous offensively is how much shooting they have. And so if you could, this is this ties back to an old Kristaps Porzingis argument, which is, yeah, going four out is great, but you know what's awesome with a four spacing center going five out, and it would open up driving lanes for all of their all of their attackers then you can you know with miles bridges especially with what he's done with the ball in his hands if there's he can finish around at the rim but if there's even less resistance there that can be there and you know turner i think he can do a little bit more offensively than the pacers have asked him to do sabonis is a challenging fit for those reasons but turner is more the other type i think he could do a little bit of switching but i think if him more as the drop back guy his length catches people as by surprise he's done better as a rebounder now but you can make it, you can, so I think, I think Turner is the most intriguing fit. I also think he's probably the best player overall of the centers who could reasonably be on the market, but he's far from the only answer. No, I think that's, I, and he's almost a rule proving exception in terms of, of 
like the his his ability to both protect the rim at a high level and shoot threes at a decent level is sort of you know I don't want to use the word unicorn because that's been way overdone but he's certainly you know among the centers that are likely available he's he's basically the example of the guy who does both of those the best so it's it's sort of a in, in his own category if we're just talking if we're just talking rough archetypes I think that you're you, you're going to have an easier time finding the one than the other. Yeah, I, th- I think that's completely true. And the other reason why I think Turner is such a such a key player in this deadline is the complications relating to his injury. And so, I the first thought is okay. Well, teams should be less interested in him. You don't know you don't know how long this is going to take. Though it sounds like people are optimistic about it but the real change for me in the turner conversation this affects the hornets and a lot of other teams is how does it affect the pacers thought process because the biggest storyline to me that isn't getting a ton of play and you and i are working on something that relates to this is there are a lot of potential decisions at this deadline where the choice is not which package do i like the best the choice is do I like the best package more than what I think I could get at a different point versus also just keeping them and not making a trade in the first place? And so Turner is a great example of that, where if the if the asking price, if the offers get lower than Kevin Pritchard wants, he doesn't have to do anything. I feel like Indiana, there's another, there's, I, I think, based on some of the, the stuff we've heard about recently about uh, certain players Indiana is interested in. Um, strangely, they're all guys who play on the Mavericks, where you know Rick Carly used to be the coach, and and <laughs> you know the that that sort of familiarity aspect of it that which leads me to wonder if there is at least some kind of uh, I don't want to say misalignment, but at least a difference of opinions on what the Pacers should do. Um, I think you would agree with me that the more sensible course for the Pacers is probably to, to, to kind of turn things over and, 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 okay, maybe, you know, build, build around just Sabonis perhaps, um, and, and go that way. But if they're going after, you know, Carlisle's favored vets, that's kind of going the opposite direction, or at least, at least, you know, uh, uh, perpendicular. Um, (laughs) It's it's also a great example of how, a coach can influence personnel even if they don't necessarily have that power. And it seems like Carlisle actually has more has a little bit more sway in Indiana, partially with his history there and also partially because Kevin Pritchard just had a little rough go of it, hired a coach and had to immediately fire him. And yeah. Herb Simon still has to pay Bjorkrin. So that that's a you know, is a very human consideration of this. The I agree with you that the best path, generally speaking, for the Pacers, I still think there's a competitive team in there. But Probably more of a maybe win a round in the series, win a playoff round if things go really well, team, rather than a true threat to make the conference finals, win the conference finals. But well, I think how many, how many, how many blanks are we filling in with like seventy five percent tile or better outcomes? So I was like, if Malcolm Brogdon is healthy and if Miles Turner is healthy, exactly. Well, no, so that's so that's in, that's what yeah. I'm saying is that if if the best you can do. You, I think you, Sam, and I did a piece on this, I believe, with the Pacers earlier in the year. It's like, if the best you can do is that, then you might want to go in a different direction. And that doesn't mean sell everything right now. That doesn't mean do everything. Like, it doesn't have to be immediate. But the, the Pacers are both a best case and a worst case example. Like, that makes them such a good illustration of the idea of always going for the low-end playoff seat. Because... Yeah, you're going to hit a couple of times. Like, do I like Duarte quite a bit, actually? But you're going to end up with a fair amount of Goga Patate. It's where it's like maybe he's a player, maybe he's not, and so you have to hit on basically everything else. And Karis Levert, both with the unfortunate, you know, the unfortunate, I believe the the kidney issue that he dealt with last year, but also just Karis Levert not being as good of a player as they hoped that he was going to be, and all the availability problems they've had. That the ensemble cast is hard to it's hard to dominate with because you kind of need everyone there because nobody else can scale up when somebody's out. Yeah, I think that's right. No, and that and that sort of, in some ways, it leads to us back to the Hornets in 
like for a team in the Hornets situation, like PJ Washington shouldn't be available because like he's a he's a good growing player on their team who, you know, has has this year and next year left on his rookie deal and is is sort of a um kind of a, a pretty clear playoff archetype of player, but then you you look down the road and Okay, well, we're gonna pay. We're gonna pay Miles Turner. We, they, it seems like they're they're gonna want to pay Cody Martin. You mean Miles Bridges? Miles, Miles excuse me, Miles Bridges. Um, uh, they're they're gonna want to pay Cody Martin. At least I said Cody Martin, not Caleb Martin. Um, and and you know, and he's he's fallen. He he's fallen behind Martin in in, in the rotation, even though they're not. You know, they're not strictly speaking competing for minutes but just in terms of their priorities and they're looking ahead okay we're gonna pay like Melo's gonna get a max extension maybe a super like maybe a rose roll extension depending on on how his next couple seasons play out um so we can't be in a situation where we're going to be extending you know pj washington for i don't know what if, if you had to to set an over under on his average annual salary you know Coming coming off into his his uh, restricted free agency a rookie extension like you know we're you twelve million is that am I am I massively yeah. off there or well no that... I would say I, my thought was eight to fifteen depending on how the yeah. next couple next next year plus goes and Washington also he'll be extension eligible this offseason so yeah. you want to have a good idea of of where things are going there and Washington it... I. It, it, it is it is an area as an analyst that I always have a little that that I always am a little bit skeptical. Which is okay. I know what his role is offensively. I mean, Washington hitting thirty. He's hitting thirty nine percent of his threes this year. If you want to do per thirty six, seven threes per thirty six minutes, which is pretty phenomenal. Like that rate is that rate is good. Doesn't really get to the line. Doing okay from two. So that's so, why. I mean, he's actually considering where he shoots from. He's a pretty poor paint scorer. Yeah. Like if you look and, at his, he finishes around the rim okay. You get him away from the rim at all, and he's he's career thirty something, like thirty seven from floater range. Yeah, and I think takes, that's, I think that's good, right. And takes a good chunk of his shots from there. So he's and actually, doesn't take mid rangers, which is good. Yeah, but, but um, it's good. But you think about that. Okay, guy shoots thirty eight percent from three, and you know finishes at the rim pretty well. Um, how is that guy basically like league average efficiency every year? That's, and one that's, part of it is not getting to the line, but yeah, not not getting to the line, and that that kind of that anchor of of you know anytime like anytime he can't get right to the rim, it's just he he doesn't finish very well, and so then that actually his you, you know you look at that three point volume and percentage, and it's like oh that that should be a good you know complementary low usage offensive piece, and and it's just and it, it's more just okay. Um, and you know, I've I've been a huge supporter, and I still am. I, I, I think he he could be a very useful playoff player. But you're thinking about okay, well, he's going to be the seventh or eighth guy we're paying, you know, ten million plus a year to on a team we don't know how good it is. Right. That's when you start to see you 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 kind of want to avoid being in the 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 Indiana kind of perpetual bird rights trap. Well, of, there's there's another big problem that ties in with this, which is. You don't want to pay your sixth, seventh, and eighth guys if you don't have your five. Yeah, and like, and I don't mean five is in center. I mean five. Although in this case, in, in, it, it is. Yeah, and, and and so that is the other kind of decision that Mitch Kupchak and Michael Jordan and all of this have to make is PJ Washington, talented player. You could see, you know, especially with a couple more years, Washington at this point. I mean, he's he's only twenty three. He'll turn twenty four this summer. Could could continue improving and be some of the things that you're looking for. But you can also, theoretically, if other teams are interested, and that's always a gargantuan if, you could try to turn P.J. Washington into somebody higher on the totem pole. and Or actually, I guess that'd be lower on the totem pole, higher in the pecking order. I always use those analogies wrong. <laughs> and so I, I think that there you get into the other P.J. Washington challenge, which is, what what does another team see in him? Because my concern with Washington, I know you're more of a supporter than I am, is that I don't know where he fits defensively. And I think that if you do, he's he can he can help out. I think that he can be a part of a fine defense overall. But I also don't think he can be. I don't think he's going to protect the rim well enough. I don't think that he's going to feel you know successful rebounding enough to be 
your biggest player. Like if he's your biggest player, then your team is going to have a very specific conception. And so let's say, you know, they're going after Miles Turner or they're going after center Y, center Z, Christian Wood, whomever, like whatever you want to talk about. Washington doesn't have to be in the deal, but he is a logical way to be a part of that deal. And so then you have part of why teams love to use first round picks is that you don't have to agree on the value of the player who you, it, you can do it more in the abstract. So are the Pacers interested in PJ Washington? Are the, you know, are, are the Rockets are the, you know, all these other teams that have potentially centers and it's possible that they are the, especially if the see him as a four and are moving, you know, like are moving Miles Turner. Like, yeah, a PJ Washington Sabonis group is has some flammability defensively, but also that could make life a lot easier on their creators offensively. Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of thinking you're, you're. I mean, to me, you're, you're you're talking about the the wrong level of team to like you're, you're talking about him being the fourth or fifth starter for a up and coming team, and that's okay. almost sort of the way he's coming. I think he's like. He's like the the seventh guy on a already really good team because you know. Oh, so, so the idea that he fills some gaps but not all of them. Yeah, no. I mean, you think about you know second unit center in the playoffs. That's a okay. A lot of teams want to go small um, just because you know otherwise you end up you know playing Dwight Howard and he gets torched every <laughs> at the start of every fourth quarter and you lose a series you shouldn't. Um, and yeah, is he is can he hold up as a starting caliber center? No, I don't think so. But if he's in, you know, the role that kind of Jeff Green or Jamichael Green or or even Jeremy Grant has kind of fallen into in some recent playoff runs, I think that's a I think that's a role that he could fit into nicely. It's a you know, for the next two years, it's a salary slot he fits into nicely, and then, you know, you see what you have. And if you're a team that's already at that level I mean, a way we like to describe guys is he's not someone you start a team with, but he might be a guy you finish a team with. Well, sure. if you're if you're you know you know pick uh, Brooklyn, Denver, Milwaukee, Miami, whoever, like okay, then you're, we can retain him. You know, it's it's tax money, and that determines a little. Of that's determined on you know ownership's willingness to go however far into the tax, but it's not actually a a locking in in quite the same way as it would be for a team like Charlotte that doesn't quite know, that doesn't have really any conception of how good they are at, at their present, like uh, their present construction. That's a really interesting thought. And it begs a different question for the Hornets, which is, let's say those teams, the teams where PJ Washington slots in as the sixth through eighth best player, do they have somebody that makes sense for the Hornets in, in that sort of a circumstance? Because, Typically, those teams aren't giving up their best talent, and they aren't doing it. Now, you could theoretically engineer that through a well, three-team trade. Let me, let me float. Let me just, just float something, and I think I, I think there probably need to be a little something else in it to make it worth money-wise. But um, Dante DiVincenzo for P.J. Washington, does that have – does that, would that would that be something that would have any – you know, obviously I'm going Bucks-centric because, you know, I live in Milwaukee. But, I mean, th- that – you're right. It's it's that's intriguing, right? Because like, you know, the like Charlotte doesn't the the good version of Dante Givincenzo is a good solid defensive guard who can play a connector role on offense, um, and Charlotte doesn't really have that. So and and the idea that you could theoretically play Divincenzo with either Rozier or Lamelo is really interesting. The idea like the comp. Thinking of players as complementary is is can be very useful. And DiVincenzo, like he did more with the ball in his hands than the Bucks are asking Grayson Allen to do. And whether or not the Hornets need that will depend on who they have at that moment in time. You know, like maybe the idea could be that DiVincenzo can take on a larger role if and when Gordon Hayward is in a different phase, which he is not right now, thankfully, when he's not in the protocols. So yeah, I, I, that's that's an interesting concept. And for the Bucks, you get a player who isn't your answer defensively. But they already have that in, in Giannis. And so I, I'm from Milwaukee's perspective, I'm definitely interested because also you get another year of cost control, which you don't have with DiVincenzo. And that could be why the, the Hornets would have pause 
Now I'm thinking about a way to try to theoretically use DiVincenzo in a deal for a center, and that might be possible, but that also gets a little bit difficult. The reason three-team trades don't happen often is that you have right. to calibrate estimations and all that. I like, but, but conceptually, Washington on the Bucks, yeah. So the, then, then, then uh, DiVincenzo to the Knicks and Mitchell Robinson to the I don't know. Now we're just getting crazy. Now we're just getting crazy. Oh yeah, crazy. and um, but so yeah, I, I think that the the idea that PJ Washington can be a smaller piece in a bigger machine that also brings in the other team that I thought of with that. It's funny you went with the team that is geographically closer to you. I can go with another one that's geographically closer to me, which is. A lot of people have talked about like Miles Turner and a few other guys to the Golden State Warriors, and the idea there is he's a good player. The Warriors need good players, and they have some young guys that they could do. However, I'm I'm off of that. By the way, I was I was a, yes. I was big into that all, and and basically, I don't know if you heard the episode I did with uh, with Caitlin Cooper, but she basically completely talked me out of of Miles yes. Turner as a good addition for for the Warriors. I have not, but I had I had talked myself out of it similarly, and I mean I I talked I, I have had Caitlin on a few times, so it might have been that it kind of happened through it happened yeah. you know it was independent <laughs> creation, but yeah. so but but PJ Washington, let's say the the return the asking price isn't crazy high, or let's say maybe I don't know they were scouting in the draft they like Moses Moody I don't think you I don't think you can pull Kaminga for that given them where the Warriors are, yeah. but part of what the the idea that the Miles Turner framework is and i love miles turner is isn't great for the warriors is that their best version is draymond green is playing center and so what you want in that other spot is somebody who can reliably space the floor and ideally can defend okay they're not going to be your best defender but they can do some things and washington might not be in their closing five but he could be a part of it and also that would give theoretically depending on how kerr wants to structure the rotation it would give them Another way to create some advantages when Steph Curry's off the floor, which has been a real problem for them over the last seven years or so, um, because they've just they've never invested in a backup point guard because they have Steph Curry and everything else. So it's I, I Washington. I hadn't thought about him in the way that you clearly do, but I can see it now. Now that we've talked about it, sure. Um, and we've just spent. I think we've spent more time talking about the Charlotte Hornets than. Anyone ever has at, at yes at, no um so but let's I, like sticking with them though or or not I don't know um because maybe this is a good way to bounce to another team that is kind sure. of an interesting repository of possible uh, trade targets is it still is strange to me that they didn't sign Rashawn Holmes that's like oh yeah I mean the the Hornets the, the to me. The, the biggest frustrations as, you know, an armchair general manager are the situations where there is no ambiguity about what a team needs, and yet the person who actually makes the decisions does something different than that. And, yeah, they got Mason Plumley, and they didn't <laughs> okay. have to they didn't have to give up a ton to they didn't have to give up a ton to make it happen. And they're well, I, I, and they're I, why? Why did it? It's almost like anyway. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that is, you know, that it was it was very frustrating because they did that. And and so he's not good enough to be their center of the present. And you and I part of that is also maybe they were thinking they weren't going to be as competitive as they've been. And so the idea that the, the threshold wasn't as high, but. The timing was so irritating for the for the Hornets because that's they're probably their best shot at real cap space, and so they can now pivot. And there, there are the good news for the Hornets is that there are capable centers on the market, and they missed an opportunity. And Rashawn Holmes doesn't wouldn't have solved all of their problems, but he would solve some of them. And there is a really and you would be a, you're a fun person to talk about this. The idea that part of why Rashawn Holmes' defensive metrics have looked good is because the Kings are such a disaster when he's off the floor defensively that it might just be that somebody has to get some cred and it's him, but that, that, you, that there might be some of that. Though there, there are some rim protection things there that are interesting. Um, so, But even then, like I agree with you that he'd be a better fit. He's, the question, yeah, no, it's, it's the, he's not Marvin Bagley or Tristan Thompson. Right, exactly. And so he and looks better, like, yeah. Jokic has gotten some of those benefits this year defensively, where the team has been such an abject failure when he's been off the floor. It's like, well, he's obviously the reason they're succeeding, and Jokic is way better, and I don't want to get into that whole argument. But that's that's a part of it. And But where the other reason the Hornets are, are an, an interesting and nuanced part of this conversation is theoretically the assets they would give up to make a to acquire a center of the present slash a center of the future 
are different because of the trade they made with the Knicks. So in, in on the draft day, on draft day, the Hornets made a trade with the Knicks to get a guy that maybe they thought of as their center of the future in Kai Jones. And in that deal, Charlotte gave up a first round pick that is protected one through 18 this year, then 16, then 14, then 14. And so what that means is now that could convey as soon as this year. And then isn't the, obligations... isn't the pick that's in it that, that went to Atlanta in the. Yes, Reddish that is the, the pick that went in the Cam Reddish deal. So what that means is teams trade the Hornets trading for a center. Probably the centerpiece of that is not going to be a first round pick because it's too nebulous. It's too far in the future. It's not. It, teams just aren't going to be as interested. It could end up being juicy, but that's just not the way things generally work. So instead, you go okay. Well, if they want to make a move. There, you're talking about depending on the quality player, PJ Washington. We already discussed maybe one of their you know young wingy guys like Martin or McDaniel's, or, and this is the one that I find really interesting, the guy that just picked in the lottery, James Booknight, and how, who you give up, what combination, what kind of filler salary? Because like Kelly Oubre is natural in some ways filler salary, but he helps them. Like he's he when he's when he's playing well, he can be a part of what they do. And, you know, Plumlee can be a part of it, depending on what salary range of center you're looking for. He only has $4 million guaranteed for next year. So it's not that big a deal to, um, to, for a team to take that on. So I wonder how Mitch Kupchak didn't see center as that big of an issue because they chose to get Mason Plumlee instead of somebody better. Does he see that differently now? And does that mean he's willing to give up somebody that they committed more to recently? This is an interesting question. I think, I mean, I think Miles Bridges being as good as he has been is it has to be somewhat clarifying for them. I hope um, so. I mean, because I, I think that they, I mean, part of the reason they didn't want to commit to a, a, a defensive center, quote unquote, is they might have thought that they were going to get more defensively from like that spot, whether, you know, whether he's playing, you know, the three small ball four, what have you. Um, they're not going to get a ton defensively from that spot, but they're getting so much more offensively than they thought they were. And so maybe that, okay, now we need, like, we need center to be like defense. And, you know, and, you know, maybe it's just a misevaluation of the player and he thinks that Mason Plumley is a solid defensive center, which, you know, he wouldn't be the first coach to make that mistake, or the first GM to make, or coach to make that mistake. I mean, uh, Mike Malone famously um, <laughs> perhaps cost cost the Nuggets a playoff game or two by by thinking that he was a a defensive upgrade on on Jokic. But yeah, um, so it's that, that that's a well. I, so I, yeah. I want to throw one to you because this is sure. a team that I've been grappling with a lot over the last couple of weeks. Incidentally, the team that Nate and I are going to discuss on the uh, NBA strategy stream, newly rechristened. Um, we're doing we're doing Grizzlies Sixers tonight, and the Memphis Grizzlies are having an unambiguously successful season. And they basically have one arrow left in their quiver to try to get a really good player. And they have, they have kind of cap space, they have some young players, but really, as you think about it, in order, they would have to use most of those resources to get somebody who's would be at least their third best player, potentially even ideally their second best player behind Ja. What makes Memphis so compelling is that they could do that now. They could do it this week, or they could do it in the 2022 offseason, or theoretically they could do it at the 2023 trade deadline, or maybe the 2023 offseason. And that is so unusual that you can have that many times to make one choice, basically. And I'm kind of obsessed with it now. I feel like the last time we saw a team in that situation, they just ended up making no, no choices, and and I'll, I'll, and we heard a lot about how they, how they were almost trading for all the all the top players in the market. And I'm you know I'm sort of referring to the to the post kind of uh, Garnett deal Celtics, where just yeah. like all like all these assets, and they just just and and these 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 like the these. Uh, string of consecutive windows whether it's off seasons or or trade deadlines to kind of make that and i know celtics fans always get always get uh get a little peeved when they start to hear about the danny almost stuff but it really i mean that was the last team so it's almost like oh we know we have time to put it off and so that's almost let's well, and let's, let's fomos uh, like like the, the, uh, Cel like the celtics season. are also a fantastic illustration of another part of the challenge of this which is 
draft picks become human beings at a certain point in time. And at that point in time, it becomes very important that you have done well converting those draft picks into players. And so when a pick is a first round pick two years out, it could be anywhere. You know, you don't know if the Kings are going to be good or they're going to be bad. But like, I have this theory that unprotected picks of shaky teams are actually most valuable to trade a year before. Now, every once in a while, you can end up with Jalen Brown. So pretty sweet deal if you can get that. But generally speaking, those teams are going to push a little harder. They, have, they don't have the same incentives to lose. It's an unprotected pick. And so you end up with a little bit worse. But like, you know, the, some of those picks becoming Romeo Lankford and Neesmith. And like, those guys could be interesting in time. But also that takes time. So unless you get an absolute steal, but if you get an absolute steal, you're probably keeping that dude. And so for Memphis, I'm not saying the time is now, but it's probably sooner than they think depending on who's available. And that's the huge caveat that I have to put in there is like, there are a lot of different ways that Memphis can do this, that they can, like you can add a lot of different formulations, whether that's a front court player to fit alongside Jaron Jackson Jr. or a wing that can be their lead defender or be a complimentary scorer, or, you know, maybe they partially replaced Dylan Brooks and then you can move him in a different thing, even though they've liked what he's brought. Like, they can do – there are a lot of different ways for the Grizzlies to upgrade. They just only really have one kind of combination to do it. So let's let's stick with the Grizzlies then. And incidentally, like that's – that like even someone like, like I don't know, Xavier Tillman would be easy – it would be interesting for for Charlotte. But that's, that, that's more a comment of where like Charlotte is, um, you know, defensively and in the center spot than – like I think he's a, a good solid player. But – who is just hasn't been in Memphis's rotation really at all this year, um, despite having a very promising rookie year. But that that I think that illustrates your point in in terms of the resources they have at their disposal. I mean, they have a lot of hey, that guy could play for us on their roster. Um, and they also like, have a fair amount of expiring salaries. And yep. Memphis is in the position where they could theoretically take on a guy who's making reasonable money for the next couple of years and it won't put them over. Now, that's, that's basically using cap space ahead of time because the other option is you could use that cap space. But, but I, think, they, I think pre-spending it is, is, is you're going to do, if, you're, if you are in Memphis, you're going to do much better pre-spending that cap space on an existing contract than you are sure. signing a guy. Exactly. Now, and that's how that's how I talked myself into the into the Bulls trading for Vucevic, and that hasn't exactly worked out. That part of it hasn't. He's been as as good as the Bulls were before everyone got hurt and got COVID this year. Uh, like that was almost in spite of Vooch rather than because of him. But it, I, but that that re, that logic of of trading for him to pre spend cap space did make sense to me. Yeah, it, it made sense to me too, and I wonder. So a big part of the kind of Memphis Memphis all-in move, and it doesn't have to be necessarily everything, is the availability of that player. And so I've gone through, a, it feels like a million different archetypes of what that could be. One of them yeah, is name like... Names. Name names. <laughs> Miles, you... Miles, Miles Bridges. That's interesting. So the idea he can create a little bit more, but can defend wings. So you, the idea would be that he could play alongside Desmond Bain. I kind of feel like could... you'd have to godfather charlotte to get them to trade him right now you might but but i also don't think a godfather for him is the same as like jalen brown where like jalen brown has established a level of play but jalen brown is probably my number one because brown defensive versatility and an offensive game that can work with a really good player and also doesn't you know like he can shoulder some of the burden when jaws off the floor and, and also great in transition and Memphis. great in transition. And, yeah. and, and so, and, and the idea that I think you want, so the one theory of this is a lineup that you could go to at points would be jaw, Bain, Brooks, Brown, and Jaron. And I, I, how do you, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to see that them actually being able to make that deal in a way that doesn't involve Brooks just like mechanically. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, but then you can, you can fill that spot if that's the one you need. I mean, also hilariously Memphis has a billion fours. So, Oh no, you need to put a four in there. Like, yeah. you, but, but then the other question is like, why does Boston do that? And the answer is I'm not entirely sure, but they, but, and, and there, there is a, to an extent, there is a parallel in the, in the Memphis thought process as there is with the Ben Simmons thing, which is like, if you have one way to get better, 
do you want to wait for there to actually be players on the market that are the ones that you really want? Because it appears that at least at the moment, a lot of guys aren't available, aren't yeah. truly available, or the price is just too high right now. Yeah, although, I mean, there is there's a difference in that that Philly really truly, I mean, as creative as, as Daryl Morey is, like Philly really truly has one big move in front of them. Yes. Um, just because of, of, you know, the combination of ages of their players and just how locked they, locked in they are from a salary structure standpoint. I feel like you're you're selling like uh, you're you're selling Memphis's uh, optionality a little short by saying okay. that they only have they only have one move because they you know, there's a lot of things they can do now that the danger. I, I mean, one move for like for a yeah. guy who's one of their three best players. Like, sure. There are a lot of things they can do for the sixth through tenth and maybe yeah. even the fourth through tenth. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're they have a lot of those. But generally speaking, the amount of ammunition it takes to get one of those high end players. I mean, yeah. you could even go back to the Kristaps Porzingis trade where. I mean, that, that the Mavs gave up a fair amount in that deal for somebody that they, even in the most optimistic, and he was hurt at the time, the most optimistic person would say would be the second best player on a very good team. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I mean, they were, I think they were, you know, the, 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 whether your conception of, of, of Porzingis was top 20 player or top 40 player, um, I think it's it was a great deal for them if you if you conceived him as a top 20 and it was slight overpay if you thought it was... I mean, although I mean, I, I guess that's that's maybe a little bit revisionist in that Tim Hardaway turned out to be fine on his contract, and that seemed sure. like at the time seemed like he was negative value. But anyway, we're um, I, I, yeah. Um, by the way, I, uh, fo- folks who are listening, if you got questions for for Danny and I, please uh, raise your hand. We'll get to you. We got about, got about twenty minutes left here. Oh, and there's one right away. Uh, uh, bring Kyle up on stage to. Uh, to see what he's got to say, because as uh, as people have, have seen, we can um, go for hours down tangents. So uh, if, if there's something specifically you're interested in, Kyle, uh, we'll go we'll, we'll go down you. your tangents. Yes, exactly. Our tangents. Perfect. Uh, hope you enjoyed skiing, Danny. I did. Uh, awesome. I'm I'm going in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Um, Hawks fan here. Uh, question for you guys about the center spot. Um, I think everybody in, in Hawks world is talking about uh, Okongwu and is very excited about how well he's playing. Um, so whether you think it's realistic that he could take over the starting job next season, and if so, is there a market for Capella with his extension? I'm, I'm nervous about that. I'm curious what you guys So you want to talk about the Capella first? I, I, just one point, I, I've been talking about this on, on Twitter recently, is I would really like to see them try to, just try those two together. I think that, that Ooh, oh, it's the idea of a Kongwu is a four. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I, I, there's obvious reasons why that isn't perfect, but I think that we're we're both in this spot where hey, just get your good players in the court and figure it out. Like, they, oh yeah, we're, if, we're, if we're definitely, do, but we're definitely both in that camp. Yeah, I mean, if you know, they have 96 minutes at the four and five to give away. Um, I would like as many of those 96 as possible going to Capella, Kongwu, and Collins. And like that sort of necessitates playing a Kongo at the four some. And I would just like to see, I would like to see that attempted a little bit as a way to just get him on the floor more. I like a Kongo. I think that he's, he's shown me more flashes defensively. I, you know, Hollinger has talked a lot about the bad closeouts. That's something that, and I agree with him, but that's something that will improve with time. Kongo is just 21 now. So I, I think that there's, there's real room for improvement. I mean, he already I, might be one of the, the 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 best few players in the league at guarding Giannis. Yeah, I think like that there's, there's. And again, I'm in Milwaukee, so maybe I'm over-indexing on that. But still, like that's like. And, you and know, what if I like you can do a, that. Like, what I like about a Kong Wu also is that I think he has very good instincts, and generally, players with good physical tools and strong instincts at a young age get a lot better defensively too. It was something actually that interested me about Miles Turner going back to when he was at Texas. And then they're different physical profiles, but that's that kind of same basic idea. And so I, I'm optimistic. And for Capella, whether there's a market for him, I mean, I'll walk people through the remainder of his contract. So after this year, Capella is going to make $64 million over three years. So that's about $21, $21.5 million a year. I think there would be some interest, but not enthusiastic interest for Capella at that price. How healthy he is will be a key question. Also, there being so few teams with cap space, that makes it hard because then 
you're you know you're doing deals where you're taking on other money and maybe maybe there's a team that would rather have a big than a small or a wing but that's always a hard calculation to make so i i think i think that the core of the idea like the idea that Okongwu can replace capella that's also part of why i didn't love the extension but yeah i would say i'm vaguely on board i think it's interesting there's two players who could be really interesting trade chips as both trade chips and kind of matching salary that are just not available to be traded right now. And that's like Capella and Malcolm Brogdon. And like, I think both teams would, would very much like the option of doing so right now, but yeah. And, and that's an argument, you know, there, there are a couple of them, but the arguments against doing extensions early is that you like doing those, you know, those preseason extensions for, for players that would have otherwise been tradable. Now you get the security of knowing you have the player on this contract and, and all that, but, but you also about Michael Porter jr. Um, oh, sorry. Oh um, boy. Okay. Um, oh. Well, I mean, I think Seth, you and I have talked about this a lot that my general, my general take is unless it's a no bones about it, like Luka Doncic, Trey young level player, you don't give a max or near max extension early. And unfortunately, and I, you know, I liked a lot of what he did when he was healthy. Michael Porter Jr. is maybe the best example of that. I I'd used DeMarcus Cousins, or you could use De'Aaron Fox or numerous other guys. It's like, I understand this pressure that like, oh, he's our best guy, but that shouldn't be the standard for doing it a year early because from the team's perspective, you're shifting so much risk from the player to you. And yeah, you can make them unhappy and everything else. And who knows, maybe that's a part of the reason why Kawhi Leonard didn't want to be on the Spurs anymore. But those things are, as a team, as like a, you know, if I were running a team, those are far smaller concerns for me than the, like putting, having a $27 million guy on our contract for five years who has a messed up back and we can't do anything about it. Like keeping, keeping the player from getting so upset that it poisons the relationship is the management part of general managing. So mm-hmm. yes, that's that that is a challenge. That's what you're getting paid to do. So anyway, yeah, um, Th- that's uh, what the money is for. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's what the money's for. Um, you know, that's, that's that's sort of the the hard parts about like those kind of jobs aren't the like the fantasy GM aspects of it, which you know those 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 are tricky enough. But I think that's you know it's pretty easy to get reps at doing stuff like that, doing things like mock trade deadlines. Um, it's the the managing of the human factor, which is why you're you are supposedly one of the thirty best people in the world to have this job. So, um, you know, don't be afraid of that and act like it. That's my that's my general stance towards towards like uh, we have to extend him, otherwise he'll get upset. Kind of kind mm-hmm. of uh, viewpoint. Uh, Kyle, did we uh, did we did we uh, answer your question? Uh, yeah, that before? that was helpful, guys. I, I think I, I just. I'm nervous. Of, I like the idea of trying uh, a Kongo and Capella together. I'm I'm kind of sick. Oh, oh! I'm sorry, Kyle. I accidentally uh, uh, put brought Mark up, but um, so apologies for that. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, we, we we I think everyone would like to see a Kongo more, just because again, I mean, if you saw the the Lakers game yesterday, um, he was pretty spectacular down the stretch and and was a big part of the reason they won that game. Uh, Mark, what what do you got for us? Hey, uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm a Rockets fan here, and this may be a much broader topic than what you have for the time here, but our roster kind of lacks really any solid passing or point guards or any really connected passers, maybe outside Tate and Sengun, even for his limited minutes. Do you think that a lack of passing can something that can really hinder young guys slash prospects' development on the offensive end, so like Green and Kevin Porter Jr., or is that something that's more nebulous and kind of depends on the prospect that you're talking about? So um, this is a really good topic. This, this came up a lot, kind of starting with like the process Sixers. Um, I think that the, the the players who are going to be stars, it kind of doesn't matter. They'll figure it out. Um, the players who are going to be good role players need a role to play to learn how to play that role. And so those are the, that kind of middle tier of prospects are the guys that if you if the whole team is I think the word used is nebulous. And I'll use that as as kind of they're they're sort of ill defined roles where everyone's doing a little too much and not the right things and aren't necessarily being put in the right spots. 
and I think that is that is a concern, and that is why that is why you can't have you know you can't have fifteen developmental spots on your roster because in in some ways you almost have none because those aren't they're not there it's it's just it's it's not slots it's an, it's just an open field and that's you know that sort of blank page creativity is is hard and that's the kind of thing that only like the the guys who are gonna be stars really figure out. Right. And and I think that there is a difference that I'll try to convey between hard for the players to develop and hard to evaluate the players. And yes, but it, that, it's both of those, both of those. Yeah. definitely. And so I think that it will be harder for the Rockets and for other general managers to evaluate the current Rockets if they have less passing. But I don't think that Jalen Green is going to be that much worse four years from now if the team still has bad passing as long as they have passing them. I mean, yeah. I mean, if Jalen Green is going to be that guy, and if he's if he's if if he's not going to be that guy, it's it's not the fact that they didn't have a they didn't have a point guard this year that is the is going to be the reason why. Makes sense. Thank you. Uh, that's one reason I'm kind of more would be more than willing for us to trade Wood just to get Sengun in there. Maybe see maybe he could help some of the role players uh, learn, learn a little bit better off ball too, as you were kind of saying in, in that specific role. No, it's an interesting thought. Uh, it's the uh, the um, I, I've taken a call that the uh, the Peña at first base kind of thing. Um, it's, the one player might be better than the other, but you uh, you would like the other you would like a certain player to be playing a given role, and the only way you can you can force the coach to do that is uh, not have the not have the first guy on your team. So you know you can the the lineup is yours, coach. You just can't start Peña at first base, which I think is. Um, I think it's the kind of trade that probably should happen a little bit more, to be honest, even even uh, giving away a little bit in terms of value, because the kind of net value to the team, you might gain more just by forcing a more optimal distribution of minutes. Right. And that was, uh, I think, with Grayson Allen opening minutes for Bain, too, with the Grizzlies. Yep. Yep. That's a good example. That's a perfect okay. example. Thank Thanks a lot, Mark. Yep. Uh, Nate. Um. Hey, how's it going? Uh, all right, so I have a quick hitter trade idea inspired by your uh, DiVincenzo for PJ Washington swap. But I'm curious if you think a DiVincenzo for Dorian Finney-Smith swap could make sense for both teams. And then kind of a more broad question of who's kind of like a player that you – or who's like kind of the player that you wish – you could have a direct line to a GM to make that player available that doesn't, I guess, seem to be available right now. Uh, as a Wolves fan, I think Derek White would be a great fit on the Wolves or Cavs and a ton of teams, and he doesn't seem to make a ton of sense for the Spurs to hold on to given his age and how many other young guards they have. So he's kind of that player for me, but was curious if there's someone for you guys that you wish was more available than they seem to be. Oh, uh, so on the first on the first part, um, I don't I don't see the appeal for Dallas because Dorian Finney-Smith has a has a more valuable skill set for what they need, and it's also sometimes harder to find. DiVincenzo can be a talented player, but Dorian Finney-Smith. The reason that you would do that would be if you're really confident that you can't sign him in the offseason, and it seems like Dallas is from the Bucks perspective. Sure, yeah, I mean if you can get if you can get Dorian Finney-Smith for that kind of a price. By all, by all means. You can never have too many big wings going into the You playoffs. really, really can't. Um, in, in terms of uh, – I'll let you – do you have anybody in terms of a player that you wish was more available off the top of your head? I have um, a couple. Well, I mean, there's there's players who I wish were functionally more available, like um, Oklahoma City is supposedly asking a first-round pick for Kenrich Williams, and I like Kenrich Williams, and I have a hard time seeing a team giving up a first-round pick for him. So, like, you know, kind of it's it's maybe not available so much as realistically valued by their present team who they're not necessarily contributing much for. And, and, and you know, I think, you know, uh, Eric Gordon probably falls in this category a little bit um, it, it, based on, on sort of the reporting we've heard. Uh, Harrison Barnes, um, just in, in terms of players who are available, but are they given the... Uh, the, the, the reported ask. One that's high on my list is Jay Sean Tate. I mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier, but Tate, 26 years old right now, turns 27 early next season. And 
talented player early early in his NBA career. So that means you have a lot of cost control and team control there. But by the time the Rockets are ready, because I think they're at least a few years away, he'll be at a different point and presumably he'll be more expensive. So I, I think that could be the Rockets holding too tightly. That could also be other teams being insufficiently interested. It's always hard to tell right now. In terms of the wildness of the market, Patrick Williams would be a really fun one just because players drafted that high very rarely become available early. And also that's Chicago's clearest path to yeah. really becoming a fundamentally different team. I think that I think if they had uh, had not been whacked as hard as they have been with the injury stick, that would have been a more interesting one to track. But doesn't there doesn't seem like there's any there doesn't seem like there's any good reason for them to do that kind of all in ish type move now, given that we like they they had a they had a fun start to the season, but they're kind of settling back into okay, we made progress this year, but we're not there yet, and like dealing your kind of best young prospect unless it's for just like an outsized return doesn't seem I I wouldn't I wouldn't be in a hurry to, to trade Patrick Williams if I was them unless like something kind of silly was out there um, yeah I think I think that's I think that's totally fair but just in terms of like my enjoyment of where the market is right and then the other ones and we'll have to see where this plays out is I and the players in the, in these cases have quote unquote earned the they well in Lillard's case he has earned the right to kind of do what he wants. Bradley Beal, I mean, he hasn't provided the same level of franchise changing play as Damian Lillard has. Those guys, I'm at the point now, and this is more me being selfish as an NBA as an NBA watcher. I'm ready to see them on better teams, and I don't know whether that's them wanting to stick around or whatever. But I would rather. Speaking solely as as Danny LaRue, I would rather see Bradley Beal on a on a team that is not the Washington Wizards for the next two years than on the Washington Wizards, and it's the same story for Mr. Lillard. Yeah, no, that's that, that's a fair point. Um, I just to, to I you 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 hit upon something with Jay Sean Tate, which I think is um is I think you're right, and I think that the Rockets and this they're they're far from the only team to have done this, but there is a certain uh the the we found him. Uh, aspect to teams where oh yeah um, it's it's like you uh you it, it's almost outsized importance because just having that guy around kind of shows how smart you are and so right rather and, than, and rather than turn that into something um that, that that's long-term help more helpful for your franchise the sort of the the reputational buff of of you know whether a guy was a successful second round draft pick or a you know, a, a good, decent undrafted free agent or stuff like that. I think those players do tend to get overvalued by the leadership group that brings them in. Yeah, and that's – it was a different situation, but I, I'll, I'll dig deep here and praise to the Spurs for letting Jonathan Simmons go in kind of one of those situations where he was an older guy that they found and they thought they would find the next one instead of paying that one right to Zoom. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, we got time for maybe one more, so JP – uh, probably got time for a quick one here. How you doing, guys? Thanks for taking the call. Um, was just curious, uh, Seth, I was just reading your chapter in your book about sort of how we see, uh, I guess, rebounds and assists and how they're, um, you know, sometimes the triple-double isn't, isn't really, um, you know, the right way to, to, to value um, quality in a game, for example. I was just curious, and Danny, I know you guys just did uh, – you know, the best passers in the NBA. I was just curious if there was a sort of a stat, and forgive me if it's later on in your book, Seth, but I guess a stat that sort of quantifies how many points um, were created by a point guard, let's say, let's say a James Harden. Um, you know, a lob to Clint Capella, for example, would be, um, let's say, 1.8 or 1.9 points created, regardless of if Clint Capella can actually dunk that ball, but based on sort of the quality of the shot that he was able to give his teammate. Um, is there a way where we can sort of get to a number where we can say, okay, James Harden t- tonight he created on average about 30 points for his teammates, regardless of if those teammates actually hit those shots. I was right. just curious about that. So this is actually a pretty complicated question. And thanks for the question. Thanks for reading the book. Um, it, it turns out that there that like the creation part of that is making a lot of assumptions 
Um, and even if you have like the like the the perfect kind of uh, potential assists data that you could match up with kind of shot quality, like giving all of that creation to the passer isn't right. I mean, I think we we know that. Like, there's you know, there's the Rondo assist where you you know you pound the ball at the top of the key and somebody comes off a pick and with four seconds left in the shot clock and you throw it to them and they catch and shoot. How do you differentiate that from, like you say, the lob? And then on the lob, how do you differentiate the, you know, okay, yes, the lob is there, but if but was the tagger close or not based on the corner? No, guy? well, not just it was a tag or, close or, or not. Or did, like, or did or did the was the reason the opening existed because the centers had a really good screen. Or, or is it like, okay, like this, this sort of undervalued, like that sort of thinking undervalues the guys who actually are good lob threats. Because the good lob threats, like they have a big, uh, a friend of mine used to call it a grabmosphere. Like, you know, they can, you can, you, like, <laughs> we, we saw, you know, again, we, if you saw the Lakers Hawks game yesterday, you, there was a, a lob that Trey threw to Kongwu was like, you know, three feet behind him and too high. And he still kind of caught it one handed easily. Like, who like if if that's if if that's Capella slightly banged up he doesn't get to that if that's okay John Collins probably gets to that but if that's Gallinari he doesn't get to that if that's you know uh, if if that's if he's still you know some more some some dive and dunk big man who's less kind of explosive than a, than a Kongu so you're you're sort of shorting the, the the shooter on a lot of those for the creation so it's actually. It's pretty difficult. And the second part of that this is is that there does not seem to be um, a lot of differentiation among kind of even the expected points of shots from players' passes. Um, there isn't much differentiation that isn't sort of team and scheme-based um, once you get above a certain kind of threshold of of passing. They, they, they strongly tend to converge on their, the you know, the expected uh, efficiency of the shots this player passes to pretty much convert converges to team average as a player um, starts to starts to do that more. And so what ends up happening is like big men tend to look like they are the most effective passers because you know big men like Jokic aside are tending to throw passes to open people either you know for wide open threes or under the basket. And so it's like wow, what a great passer who only hits the highest value shots. It's like, well, that's more, I think, a a function of like, those are the passes that a lesser playmaker can see. So you're almost penalizing a guy um, just on average for being able to see the more difficult play. So uh, I guess that was a lot of words I used to say no. (laughs) Question. (laughs) Yeah, Um, sounds good. Sorry, just just quickly. I, I guess my question was, um, typically, when, when we're talking about James Harden, I guess, and he's got three shooters and a, and a lob threat. Um, to me, um, I was I was potentially thinking you could sort of uh, average Capella's, uh, I guess, lob completion, or or uh, you know, in the case of these Rockets teams, uh, PJ Tucker's corner three um, right. percentage. But to me, it, it seems like it's just there's too much noise there. I guess. Well, and also like how much of that again is that like. Yes, like Harden is the one pulling the, but like, how many expected points are you giving Mike D'Antoni? Yeah, it, <laughs> you know, it, it only of, works. I, you're saying it doesn't work with James, but especially on teams not James Harden focused, it definitely wouldn't work. Yeah, no, I think that. I mean, that that would be one of the cleanest examples. But like, what's you know, you're you're almost need a baseline to compare it to. And actually, I do think we could probably you know, there are things we can do to get to a place where, okay, this is, you know, um, example I do use later in the book. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to late on Friday, I'm talking to, uh, Samir Desponde, who is one of the, the people I talked to about this is there are some models coming out of football in terms of like quarterback reads. And then you start to do research in that area. And then you can kind of say, Oh, it gets to this spot on the floor. And most players only hit that, that, that pass to the corner for a shot, you know, 10% of the time, he does it 18% of the time. So what's that worth? You can start to get to that. But until we have that kind of baseline, I think it's a little blunt to say, well, he created 30 points. Like, compared to who? Compared to what? How much of that is just, you know, in similar ways that, like, rebounds and assists are kind of assignable by who you're saying has the ball as a, as a, as a coach, as a team. I think that that falls more into that category necessarily than as something that you can strictly used to evaluate the player. 
So stick to stick to assist potential assists and assist percentage <laughs> teams. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's uh, unfortunately that's what we got for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks, yeah. guys. I appreciate. It. Absolutely, uh, Danny. Um, probably should should wrap up here in a little bit. Uh, um, I'd ask you if there's anything you want to talk about that we didn't cover, but uh, that would be four or five more shows. Oh yeah, to do so. Uh, um, um, thanks for coming on. Anything in particular you'd like to plug before we get you out of here? If people have, uh, whether you've watched it or not, you can check out Nate Duncan and I calling a live game. If you have League Pass, it's um, we're calling it the NBA Strategy Stream now. But you, so you can get it um, through the NBA app, or you can get it if you have League Pass. Other like you can do it through your computer and stuff. It's really fun. We're doing Grizzlies Sixers tonight. That's at uh, seven Eastern, four Pacific. The dunked on mock trade deadline is coming soon. I'm. I will tell you, I am doing my prep for it, so that means it's coming soon. And um, yeah, and. I'd imagine you could you could maybe potentially see th- these two pe- the two people in this conversation's names together on a byline at some point in the relatively near future as well. So subscribe to the Athletic. There you go. Uh, thanks, folks, for listening. I'm back tomorrow with uh, Sarah Todd of the Desert News to talk jazz and unfortunately probably do some commiserating about Joe Ingles. So uh, thanks, Danny, for joining me. Thanks everyone for listening, and talk to you all tomorrow. <laughs>